Hey there, and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. It is great to be back with you all after our Easter hiatus. Uh, my name is Robert. I'm a ministry associate with Ministry Estate, and here with me, as always, is my very good friend and colleague, Will Stockdale, also ministry, ministry ugh, also a ministry associate with Ministry Estate. Will, how are you doing? Well, I just want to say, I noticed that you messed up my title, but not your own. I don't know if there's some kind of sabotage that you're <laughs> Subtle. It was, it was a subtle thing. Uh-huh. Um, Will, we're back after Easter. It's, it was a glorious time away to sort of relax and, relax and reflect uh, on the resurrection of our Lord. How was your Easter break? It was really good. It was really good. I mean, the weather in DC is beautiful now. Easter Sunday was fantastic. Uh, got to have lunch with some friends, then went to the evening service. Uh, so my church meets at 4.30 in Anacostia Park. Um, the cherry blossoms are out there in full bloom, which means that there are people over the place, which means traffic on the weekends in and out of DC is an absolute disaster. And Oh gosh, so, it's awful. Yeah, it took me an hour to get back from Arlington for church and I missed the first half of the, I got to the service in the middle of the sermon on Easter. <laughs> so not ideal, but it was, it was a great to be with friends and um, just a nice, nice evening as well. What did y'all do? Oh man, we had a great Easter. Uh, we went and worshiped uh, at a church nearby. Um, it was wonderful. There was tons of kids there, which was fun for our son uh, to be there and, and to kind of play and, and run around with all the kids. Um, just all, like you said, just a glorious day, man. Like it was just so nice to be outside and uh, spend time in the sun. Um, James uh, got his Easter basket, obviously, that came with um, some play toys outside. So obviously we had to spend the entire day uh, mostly digging up my yard, but that's what you do on on holidays. So um, yeah, it was just a, it was a great Easter. And I had such a great time really just relaxing over the last two weeks. We took a break from the podcast and it was just nice to kind of spend more time in the word and, and, and reflection and, um, with family. So I know that, uh, uh, the Easter break was just so wonderful for us. And I know, I think a lot of people, uh, had the same feeling. I know I saw a lot of people taking breaks from like Twitter and the news during Easter. I think that's probably a good time to do that. Yeah. I, my Twitter break is still can largely continue. I'll get on every now and then and scroll for a second, but it's, I've dropped my interaction with it significantly. And I think I'm much better off as a result. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's probably a smart move. I also, I think it's also important to note that like for a lot of people, this Easter was the first time back in church, like in corporate worship. Cause obviously everyone remembers last Easter being uh, basically canceled because of the pandemic. Um, and I think for a lot of folks, they've spent the last year basically by themselves watching online church, not everybody, but, mo- but some, um, and, you know, I think uh, we were watching the news before church and there were a couple of different churches that were meeting on the mall. Uh, and they said like, it was their first time be- being back in corporate worship since the pandemic started. And you could just tell people were really excited and happy about that change. So I think that was also another important part of this Easter was the, the idea of being back in corporate worship. Uh, my one of my roommates went to a 10th pres in Philly uh, this Sunday and they had a, you know, just full organ going full blast. And there's something so triumphant and majestic about a pipe organ and a br- brass band playing that really, I think, I think matches the meaning of Easter. 
which is not sure. awesome. which is not in fact that we can save ourselves <laughs> we should just oh, gosh. right now that that uh unfortunate reverend as in his title ralph warnock coming out and saying that uh that the meaning of Easter transcends the resurrection of God, of the son of God from the tomb to mean that we can save ourselves by helping each other. So it was horrible. And there's so many things wrong with that and offensive and just straight up heresy. I mean, it's so funny because so heresy is not funny, obviously, but uh, I think I mentioned this in one of our episodes before we left, before we took our Easter break, which is that, you know, every single year I, hop on either like New York times, Washington post, Twitter, whatever. And there's always some like sort of mainstream article that goes viral where basically they grab a bunch of sort of progressive leaning theology, you know, theologically progressive people uh, basically saying that, you know, denying the resurrection, Uh, you know, my favorite line one year was there was this seminary prof, I think up in, in New York, that basically said, like, I don't understand why people are so obsessed with the physical resurrection. And it's just like, we always write these articles every single year around Easter as if first, first Corinthians 15, like never happened. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Maybe he should read his Bible. Maybe that seminary professor should get into his Bible and understand why people take a physical resurrection so seriously. Maybe right. Thomas putting his hands into the side and Jesus asking for that, you know, those exactly change his opinion a little bit. But, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of interesting because this year I did notice, like, I got a quite a few more, maybe this is because I'm like in seminary and in ministry now, but I got a few more texts than I normally do on Easter of people actually sending me that tweet and saying, like, I don't understand this. Like, where does this come from? Like sort of figuring out that there is a sort of branch of, I I don't want to really want to call it Christianity, but there's a, there's a branch of, it's not Orthodox Christianity, but there's a branch of Christianity um, that does like deny the resurrection that does deny, uh, substitutionary atonement and all these kind of things. And I thought it was interesting to sort of see people's reactions to being like, Oh, like I didn't know that was actually a thing. No. And I think your, your point about, is it progressive Christianity or not? I I would say matter of fact, uh, that the progressive utterance of Ralph Warnock is in fact, no form of Christianity at all that it is such a massive deviation from the orthodox faith of what has been taught throughout the ages that it actually bears no similarity to what is christianity it's it's j gresham machen's christianity and liberalism yeah that that liberalism again of the of the kind that came out of germany in the 18th century is is not in fact um political liberalism but it is a, it is a philosoph- it is a theological school of interpretation it's not it's 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 a complete other thing on its own and it's also very thoughtless because uh what hope is there in fact and it turns into maybe we can do a show on this at some point but the revitalization of pagan impulses within the american cultural context as a result of us going to a post-christian phenomenon of secularism and then post-secularism if that even such a thing so far and spiritual for sure well yeah. i think you know it was interesting i was i was uh, leading a study uh I'm, I'm leading a study through the gospels right now with a group and uh to sort of do a survey of stuff one of the points that i was trying to make was like why the gospels are important is because ours is an historic is an historical faith i mean it, we believe that actual things with actual people happened in real places and what's interesting is we, we read first corinthians 15 and 
you know, it, it's true. Like when you hear some of these utterances of unorthodox Christianity or whatever you want to call it, 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 it becomes progressively sillier, right? Like you're like, oh, if like the resurrection didn't happen, then like what you said, like it, everything's completely hopeless. Like it, it, we really are to be pitied if this, this thing didn't happen because nothing would make sense and not, none of our claims would make sense. They all sort of like divulge within, you know, on top of themselves. And uh, in, in, in reality, the thing that makes Christianity so rational and reasonable is the, you know, the, in the, the resurrection, something that, you know, is so um, sort of uh, in knee jerk reaction to it is that it's so irrational. Um, and, and then, you know, there was this great tweet that was like some, some uh, uh, science prof in London was basically like just a newsflash, like people don't come back from the dead. And everyone was like, yeah, that's kind of the point. That's why the resurrection is important is because nobody else did this. Um, And so uh, it it, it is funny to sort of approach to sort of spend some time around Easter and seeing the sort of cultural at at large react to Orthodox Christianity. It, It always sort of provides a little window into sort of what is Christianity's role in culture and, and where it stands within it, which I think is a sort of a good segue into what we wanted to talk about today, um, which is persecution, which isn't really a, a fun topic to talk about, but I think it's an important thing to talk about, um, especially now, because I think uh, I have sort of two, or I, I have one sort of big thesis right now, which I kind of want to play out through the episode, and Will, you could push back on me and, and, and correct me or, or what have you. Um, which is that I don't reprimand. I, those are also other things. Of course. Well. Yes, that too. Um, and, and that thesis is that I don't think Christians in America in 2021 are very good at talking about persecution. I don't think we have the right categories and I don't think we really know how to discuss it well. Um, and, in, and by not being able to discuss it well, we actually do damage to people who are undergoing and suffering persecution in its many different forms. And so um, I think a good place to start with this is sort of, you know, uh, the, the recent uh, news that came out today, I saw a lot of people uh, tweeting about uh, it and posting uh, an article. I think it was in the Daily Wire is where this one was from. I haven't seen any sort of corresponding reports yet, but um, essentially that uh, the Chinese government has been uh, 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 imprisoning Christians and torturing them and telling them to renounce their faith. And this is these are uh, Christians in China who are, don't belong to sort of the state sanctioned church. This is, I think, members of sort of various uh, denominations of the underground church um, that, and th- there's been some eyewitness reports and, and some actual victims reports who have been able to give their stories to some Western journalists um, about what they have suffered under the CCP. Um, so just horrible news coming out of China for our brothers and sisters uh, in Christ there. And what's going on and how they're being persecuted by the state. Yeah, I, you know, on this this line to connect this to First Corinthians 15, when Paul says we're most to be pitied, he puts it on two fronts. Our preaching is then in vain, which means all that we struggle for, all that we experience, all that we suffer is meaningless. And so I think that is important for our brothers and sisters who are in China, who are experiencing persecution and the hope of a, a resurrection. And then on the other side is Paul also says, if the resurrection didn't happen, then we are in fact misrepresenting God and who God is and what he is like. And that's something for us to think about in America, in our context, is that are we representing God correctly 
are we standing up for him? Um, which I think connects to kind of what we'll talk about in the American context. But, you know, this, this uh, situation happening in China, this persecution is nothing uh, new. Uh, it has been happening for a long time. It has been ratcheted up increasingly. There is a church that, that has experienced severe persecution. In fact, there's New York Times write up about it and, and the government ransacking their seminary that was that was there and it, it is it is awful what is happening to our brothers and sisters and it seems to only be getting worse you know we need to be praying for them a lot and we need to be identifying with them why because we are all united to the same christ and i think this puts something of a, christians in an interesting place where i have more in common with my brother and sister in christ in china than i do with my non-believing neighbor does that mean that I don't love my neighbor? No, that doesn't mean that at all. I am called to love them. But if I am to feel someone's pain, it should certainly be my brother and sister in Christ, wherever they are. Those That is the first and foremost um, sentiment or, or feeling, I don't want to say sentiment, reality that I need to live into and and experience and know to be true. And in that kind of leads to the question, well, what do we do? Uh, how do we respond we we're called to love our neighbor and there could be immediate things we can do to love our neighbor here near us. Um, but in China, it's, it's far away. We can't get in. I, I can't, I don't know anybody over there. I don't, I, I, I don't, I can't write anybody a letter or do anything like that. So it kind of leaves us with this weird Christian thing, this weird means of grace that was given to us called prayer. <laughs> and the, the, the test becomes, do we really believe in its, its efficacy? Do we really believe in its power? It's, it's lambasted and ridiculed a lot. You know, don't send me your prayer, send me your money. When we can, we should do both. But prayer is meaningful and it, it, it is very real. And so it's part of God's sovereign means of grace that he gives us. For sure. No, that's, that's really well said. And I, I think you're totally right about sort of people's uh, reaction to when people say, well, we need to be praying more. Um, I think you're exactly right that that's something we need to be doing. And obviously at that, that should be at the top of our mind. Well, what do you, okay. So let's, let's look at this, just as an aside here, let's compare. Yeah. How many times have you heard the command to lament in the past? Year? Uh, oh my gosh. I mean, countless. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. There's a disproportionate emphasis on lamentation over prayer. And I was talking to a friend, you know, one of those really smart friends who's thoughtful. And he's like, you know, lamentation is safe because the event has already happened. And we can just, mm. and, and we must lament that is, it's not an option. That's true. That is who we are, but it's not an either or it's not an either or, but lamentation is a safe thing because it's, it's the event has already transpired. It's already taken place and we can, we can identify and we can suffer. And we can feel prayer though, puts us at risk because what if God doesn't come through? What does that mean? Right. And again, what if God doesn't come through? I think it's the wrong response to have there. There's a, there's a proactive boldness in prayer here that um is essential to our walk in our life no i think that's that's really well said um and it is interesting that uh the 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 discrepancies and whether people call for prayer or lamentation it is that's gonna be something i'll probably start looking for a lot more now that you've said that i think another thing that you you made a point on that is really important to say which is that the 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 bond between uh believers uh, cross any sort of boundary, whether that's racial or uh, 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 gender or what have you, um, national. Um, that we have a we have a we have a very special primary bond with 
our brothers and sisters in China that we don't share necessarily with uh, non-believers in our own uh, country. And it, it, it sort of leaves me with this conclusion, and maybe this is me being a little bit too cynical or, or maybe, uh, I, I don't know what you want to call it, but it's, it, that sort of, because that truth, because that truth is, exists, it frustrates me when, when Christians are not more willing to sort of stand up and condemn what is happening to our brothers and sisters in China in sort of a, in sort of a geopolitical sense. Uh, and I mean that by not really recognizing the real um, uh, threat and when people don't recognize uh, the real evil that the CCP represents in, in our nation, in our world today. Um, and, and kind of what I'll say is that the Chinese government, the CCP was morally suspect before we found out about what's happening to Christians. I mean, look at what's going on with the Uyghur population there as well. And I think what's interesting for as an American sort of absorbing this in my own context here uh, is that we're sort of really willing to, to say like, oh, that's bad. Like, I wish the Chinese government didn't do that, but then sort of not be willing to uh, recognize where corporations in America or, or American entities capitulate to the CCP uh, because it would bring uh, inconvenience in our like economic or daily lives. And maybe that's too harsh to say, but it's kind of how I feel about it at this point. Oh, there's a complete double standard unwillingness to really uh, make a sacrifice and actually stand up to morals. Whether it's the MLB or the NBA or Nike or any company that is is using labor in China and their gross mistreatment of people and these unbelievable uh unbelievably offensive government abuses of basic human rights, of just basic foundational human dignity that is constantly being assaulted and under threat. And the thing is, you know, we can say, well, that's outside my country. And it's like, yeah, but we're, we're using the products there. We are receiving them. We are benefiting from them. We're giving our money to places that are being hypocritical and uh, there needs to be some kind of serious standard. Well, yeah. I and mean, I think it's, it, it disregards the, the situation on the ground, which is that, you know, American corporations like Amazon, Google, uh, Nike, all these places, even, even our sports leagues in, in some ways are more powerful and can affect more change, uh, than governments can at some point. I mean, that's kind of the world we live in these days. And so, um, I do, I just do think it is, it is interesting when, uh, we have cases like the MLB, it's just sort of at everyone's the top of everyone's mind right now, where they come out very strong on uh, a matter like uh, voting rights in the city in the city of Atlanta in the state of Georgia, um, very very uh, harsh penalty to the, to the city of Atlanta uh, for that law that was passed by removing the All Star Game from them, and at the same time not really uh, uh, interested in holding that standard uh, of justice uh, across you know the, the business that they do in China or, or uh, places like that or or Cuba or places. Yeah. Anything like that. Um, it is, it is frustrating as, as a Christian, because obviously I, I long for justice in every area. Um, but you know, that, that means that I want it equally applied. Uh, and I think that can be really frustrating, but I, I think that's a, that's a good point to then sort of move into what kind of directing or sort of going right at my thesis that I mentioned earlier, which is that the American church, the American Christians are very good at talking about persecution. Um, because, 
one thing that I'll hear. So like, let's keep, let's keep this whole, the, what's going on in China in the back of our minds, right? You'll often hear this thing where you'll go, oh, look what's happening to our brothers and sisters in China. Therefore, you American Christian have no right to ever sort of complain or bring up any sort of quote unquote persecution you may, that you might suffer here. Does that make sense? So like you'll, you'll hear things like, or I guess you would, I'll say it this way. It seems that we speak of persecution in sort of a objective standard instead of necessarily a relative standard based on certain uh, surrounding circumstances. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, I think what you're getting at is, so we'll just jump into, I think what we've both been thinking is two instances, Jack the Cake Baker. <laughs> I like how you called him that, Jack the Cake Baker. And uh, the Little Nas X video. And I remember early on in my seminary, and it was when this first the first case was coming uh, to court where Jack refused to bake a cake for this gay couple. And my professor was even like, you know, honestly, you should love them and bake the cake. And I was shocked. I, I was so surprised that he would say this. And he didn't have any other good reason other than this kind of nebulous concept of loving, of quote unquote, loving someone, which again, like, how do we love someone? What does that mean? Uh, making people feel good is not in fact loving them. Those are not always the same thing. Uh, but there was no consideration of freedom of conscience for there or for for him or in what he was going through. And so he's back in in the news again. Uh, and uh, and then the other is this this little Nas X video that um, is repulsive in in a number of ways. Uh, the product that was presented, which thank goodness the courts said can't be shipped. Uh, the the Nike shoes where Nike has been like, whoa, we have no affiliation with this. This was not done with our approval um, to the content of the video to SNL's adaptation of it and their, their um, blasphemous uh, actions, which, you know, blasphemous is unfortunately sounds like an old fashioned word, uh, but it's not, it's, it's still very relevant and still very true, but people have been very uh, misguided in responding to how Christians have responded to these things. And I know you've, you've thought about this as well. I mean, this is something you've been thinking a lot about. Well, yeah, like, I guess I would say it like this way. Like I, this is how kind of these conversations that I have about persecution go um, is I'll kind of hear something along the lines of, well, Christians in America in 2021 aren't being thrown to the lions, um, you know, to use a sort of early church reference, or that you might even say something like early, you know, Americans, Christians in America in 2021 aren't being captured and imprisoned by our government and tortured to, and telling them to renounce their faith. So like, therefore any sort of perceived persecution, it, it is not justifiable to call it that. Uh, so essentially like suck it up and deal with it. Um, and I think my problem with that, that framework is that it applies as, as it applies an objective standard of persecution that I'm not sure is quite helpful because I don't really expect uh, in America in 2021 in sort of post 1960s liberal democracy to be fed to the lions. Uh, you know, I don't, that, that doesn't seem to me to be a realistic expectation, but Things like having your small business, family business torn away from you um, because of your uh, conscience or having your uh, not or having your uh, adoption agency shut down uh, because of certain creedal stances does seem to me to be pretty realistic 
and in fact has happened in some cases and is absolutely a devastating form of persecution, even if I will, even if I'm willing to recognize and accept that it's not the same sort of persecution that either happened to the early church or is happening to our brothers and sisters in China today. Does that make sense? And I, and I don't, I don't want it to say, I don't say that to be like, kind of woe is me, like focus on my problems, but I think sort of telling somebody like not, I'm not speaking directly to Jack Phillips in this case, right? I'm talking sort of anybody that's sort of concerned about what might happen to their, their economic livelihoods because of what they believe uh, in terms of Orthodox tenets of Christianity. Like it's not very helpful to, to look at them and say like, well, at least you're not being thrown to the lions. Like, I don't, I just don't think that's a very helpful response. Yeah, I think there's almost a definitional problem here where people think that persecution is the same word as martyrdom mm. and that they're they're in fact martyrdom is lo- losing one's life for one's faith, dying for one's faith. Persecution, maybe to put it in our contemporary terms is any discrimination that one experiences based on one's beliefs and and that discrimination can be either from being left out, excluded, um to be facing uh penalties um, to even physical violence, but persecution is a much broader category. And just because, like you said, it is not the same as what first century Christians went through does not at all mean that it isn't, um, it isn't serious. or isn't real that people don't feel it and that it shouldn't be a concern for us. Does that, does it all make Christianity less true? Does it at all harm our faith? No, but we don't in fact go out and seek persecution. We don't in fact pray for persecution. That is, so I guess there's two sides here. What I'm saying, one is like denying that persecution is happening, uh, and then the other is this belief that like um, that what the American church actually needs more than anything is some really hardcore Chinese style persecution on it. And those seem to be two weird, maybe opposite ends of the spectrum that are going. There might be the same same coin, two sides of the same coin. But the notion that um, there is no persecution of Christianity in America at all is is false. Is it, is it like a systemic thing? No, but it is happening uh, to Christians. And it is, it is um, any, any, any statement to the contrary is ridiculed. I think a lot of this has to do with the, the connection of persecution and sort of perceived cultural power. Um, So I think a lot of, a lot of folks will sort of uh, downplay the persecution that, that American Christians may suffer today. I think often attach a sort of idea that well it sort of just looks bad when christians do this because it looks like they're sort of trying to retain a cultural power that they've since abandoned or or maybe like don't deserve to have um and i think i always think that that's really interesting because one of the basic assumptions of uh christians in america who are being persecuted in these ways that we've mentioned the basic assumption is that orthodox christianity doesn't hold any cultural power anymore. And I, I think any statement to the contrary is, is I, I would have to have, a, I would have to hear a good argument for why that's not true. It, it's hard for me to fathom somebody saying that Orthodox Christianity retains this massive cultural power these days. So like, why are we really complaining about, you know, having businesses, you know, shut, uh, shut down, just bake the cake. Like it's fine. Like everything's all good. I don't know if that really makes sense with sort of the the recent data and studies coming out about stuff like church membership and uh, just generally speaking, sort of people's sentiments about Christianity in America today. I mean, I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to sort of 
wrap my full arms around it in, in that sense. But like, do you kind of hear what I'm trying to say? Like, where does this misconception come from? Yeah. What you were saying with um, any attempt Christians make to say, Hey, this is persecution is simply an effort to retain political or cultural power. To me, I don't see it that way at all. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I, I think what I'm maybe a little more interested in personally is things that I've heard is, you know, you don't know, God doesn't need us to defend him. God doesn't need me to protect him. Totally true. God does not need me to protect him. God cannot be harmed. Uh, he is going to be fine. But if someone starts saying things that are false about my family, I'm going to correct them. If someone starts coming up and says, your dad is, you know, a blah, 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 blankety blank. Say, no, that, that is in fact not true. Here's who he is. I think for us as Christians, when, when people start speaking falsely and doing uh, false saying false things about Christianity, we need to be willing to stand up and to offer a loving correction of that. Instead, what is happening is this self-flagellating, kowtowing, apologizing of everything, whether or not it is Christian's fault, we're taking the blame for everything, which almost seems like it's really evangelical's fault. That's really the the kicker. Oh, every, yeah. I mean, there was that, the, the demonic music video was somehow evangelicals fault as well. It's, it's incredible what we're willing to take blame for, which really seems kind of like a, a, a narcissism in a way of like, oh, we're to blame for everything. Interesting. So you, you think that we're that much in control, which funny enough, reading like the left leaning articles, that's kind of what they would have you believe uh, is, is the case. Yeah, it's like a sort of a perverted evangelical exceptionalism. It's like we sort of control everything. And so when bad things happen, it must be our fault. Sort of denying that there's other forces or not forces, but other movements and things in, in the culture that have power and and standing within yes. it. It's, yes. it's a, it is an interesting argument. There, there are spiritual forces here. There are things that have happened. America was not always, was not a Christian nation and that it was not founded as a Christian nation, there have always been uh, alternate views and perspective and voices. And starting around the 1920s, particularly, they started really rising to ascent, being a more progressive, uh, humanistic uh, modernism that started to take over. And, you know, that is not, in fact, all Christianity's fault. There are other things to explain historically why that happened. And then I think maybe get a little crazy. Maybe I sound a little bit, you know, uh, Pentecostal here, but like, maybe some spiritual stuff going on too. Maybe there's some spiritual forces going on here that are also at play. Uh, beyond, We'll forgive that brief stint of Pentecostalism by you, Will. That's okay. I, We're, we'll allow it on this Presbyterian podcast. No, I think you're right. Like it, it was funny to sort of see the backbending by some, some folks on Twitter to sort of make the little Nas X video an evangelical problem. And then sort of the other, the flip side of it is like, well, why do evangelicals even care about this thing? Like why, why are they even wasting their time on it? And my response to that was like, what waste, what wasting of time? Like the sort of the, the, the most, I don't know, harsh thing that I saw about it, like backlash to it was that a bunch of Christians like went on social media and was like, Hey, don't let your kids watch this. Like, it's probably not a good idea to let your, your young one watch this video. And if that's, if that, if that's beyond the pale for sort of a Christian response to um, uh, unorthodoxy in the culture, then I'm kind of confused about how we do anything, how, how we have any sort of witness in the world. 
Um, well, again, the witness is self-flagellating. The the only witness that we can have is an apology and self-shame and guilt, uh, which is in fact, no positive proclamation at all. It is all this uh, horizontal negation of anything good coming out of Christendom. And also look, why are, why are Christians concerned that thing shot to the top of the billboards because yeah. it's been watched hundreds of millions of times. Yeah. It's, it's being consumed by people. And what Christians believe is, Hey, that kind of thing is harmful. And look, I understand that there is an artistic interpretation for an, a, a, and a metaphor of what he's trying to communicate in that. I don't care. I understand that. I hear that. I still think on its face, objectively, actually at its deep level, it is in fact a wicked thing and it is not good and that we shouldn't watch it. And we should not be okay with people who are consuming that and be like, wow, that's really great. I love the message there. No, that is harmful to people. We care yeah. about that kind of thing. Yeah. And and it's funny because we're in this time where where the imminent frame is so popular. People are very interested in sort of uh, uh, cultural redemption, cultural retrans, you know, transformation, that sort of very Kyperian worldview is really popular in sort of mainstream evangelicalism right now. So it is interesting to see like something pop up in the culture that is clearly very popular, that that sort of broad culture wants to consume and, and sort of letting it fester. And then Christians not being like, hey, that's bad. Like, and we'll tell you why it's bad. And like point to you something points to point you to something more beautiful. It, it is interesting to sort of be like, well, we can't do that. Like let let that let that go. Don't get don't get triggered by it. And and my general response to that is like, if you can't even just if you can't even come out and be like, hey, don't let your kids watch that. That's probably a bad thing to let them you know to let them disciple them like that. Then like, what can we do? Like, what's what is the what is the response to things like that? Just to let it go? Well, that seems to me to be abandoning the culture. <laughs> Well, and yeah, and I think one, it's it's frustrating the um, the lack of understanding of like philosophical intellectual understanding on the part of people like at the New York Times who uh, tell Christians they ought not worry about this kind of thing. Like, maybe look what our theology says before you tell us not to worry about things, and maybe understand why we'd be worried about it. But the bigger concern for me is Christians and the fact that there are Christians out there who are like, hey, this shouldn't be something that you should worry about or allow to be upsetting to you. Like, hey, I think that's actually worse and more more problematic that we do in fact as christians need to be paying attention to this kind of stuff and we can call it out and condemn it when it is in fact evil and wrong yeah and the reason why i sort of to bring these two things together uh is because um a lot of memes that i saw going around were you know you, you on one hand it, it's showing like hey this is what's going on it, you know chinese christians are dealing with this major problem right like and sort of the way that they're responding and then you sort of put that next to side, you know, side by side with an American Christian who sort of complain about the Little Nas X videos and sort of the, the, the general sense of the meme is to sort of like, look how, you know, sort of weenie American Christians are. They're not really prepared to like uh, stand up for their faith or be um, or sort of recognize what's going on uh, in reality. And I, I just kind of I look at that and I just go like, why are we why are we making this an either or why is this thing? Why are these two problems? pitted against each other. And so we have to make a value judgment about which is worse. And therefore all of our attention goes to it. And we can't give the other side any attention. And I, I just, I find that to be a false dichotomy that I'm not willing to accept mostly because the conclusion is uh, coming from sort of what I perceive to be a culture that's increasingly hostile towards Orthodox Christianity. And I'm, I'm sorry if I don't really uh, uh, sit there and accept the sort of 
uh, hey guys, just stop worrying about it. Like, sorry if I don't really take that at their word. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, let's let's look at why would secularism, progressive secularism, be so affronted by Christians not accepting this music video? Well, it is a music video at its deepest about Lil Nas X expressing his authenticity and the struggle with it being being repressed. That is what is being threatened is the the perception is that by Christians not liking this that they are threatening someone's authenticity and if there is any apex of existence for someone in America it is to be authentic whatever it doesn't mean anything objective it doesn't mean anything uniform it means authentic is whatever will or robert decides it to be for ourselves at that time and instead we say hey authentic living is living according to the will of God. Everything else is a deviation and something that is lesser than what God designs. And that includes our personal lives. That includes uh, societal living, government, like all of these things are under that. There is an authentic way that is God honoring and an authentic way that is uh, dishonoring to God. And so part of the reason people I think are so upset about this video being, you know, pushed back on is that it's threatening the cultural zeitgeist this cultural idol of quote-unquote authenticity which is nothing more than um idolatry of the self and complete self-indulgence of very whims and wants well i think you're exactly right and what you're getting at basically is i think a couple pieces that have gone viral i know one has been um uh shadi hamid's piece about uh uh america without god which is essentially that it's not it's not a sort of uh, cultural force so much as it is a religion, right? Like it, it, it's a, it's a competing religion to Christianity and uh, therefore it's dogmas and, or, and tenets are held um, uh, on the opposite side as, as sort of strenuously, strenuously as we hold our uh, beliefs. And so I think that's, that's an important point to remember in all this stuff is that uh, it's not sort of a cutesy music video that's sort of detached from what's going on in sort of mainstream culture. It actually it actually represents what you're saying, you know, a larger phenomena uh, of idolatry and, and false religion that is absolutely part of the the the, the Christian life is to call is to uh, be prof- a prophetic witness against those things and to call people back to the truth. A hundred percent. And let's just call a spade a spade. The North and the South have had different heresies that they've struggled with. The Northern heresy of theology has typically been a progressive abandonment of Orthodox Christianity. The Southern heresy has typically been a folk combination of, you know, you have Scots and Irish uh, who have come and settled predominantly in the South. And you bring those traditions that developed in the soil to be combined with Christianity to make some, some folky folksy type religion here. If we're going to be upset about the people who gathered and made prophecies that Donald Trump was going to win and this folksy thing that we see happening of what took place in January 6th, then we have to be upset about this other thing as well. And this progressive abandonment of like, look, you know, it goes back to the Easter thing. Like, it's just kind of whatever we want it to mean. It's kind of this self-expression, this, this idea of God, the resurrection means that I am to fulfill my authentic self at some level of whatever I want. Um, so look, we've just got to be aware of this and we have to be saying this is wrong and this is wrong and we don't get to pick and choose. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And that, that sort of leads me to conclude, like, we just need better categories for speaking about these things. We need to be much more 
um, open to the idea that our, our situations and contexts can be nuanced and um, contextual. And um, it's really not helpful to sort of point at like the worst thing that's happening to uh, a Christian somewhere in the world and being like, that's the standard. And if you don't hit it, then you don't get to ever speak about anything that's going on around you. I just don't think that's very helpful. Um, and I don't think it's a very realistic way of, of living the Christian life in, in corporate unity with the body of Christ, of, of Christians who are scattered across the world, uh, facing all kinds of different hardships and conflicts and situations. Uh, we need to just be mindful that, that the enemy is fighting a front on many, is, is fighting on many fronts. Um, and therefore, the, the church is fighting on many fronts, and we need to be respectful of those different fronts. And just because one doesn't seem as important or dire as you as you perceive another one to be, doesn't mean that there isn't somebody on that front line dealing with it, uh, who you know it's their whole life. And so, I think something we just need to keep in mind, especially as um, we uh, engage in pastoral ministry um, with our neighbors and 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 uh, fellow believers. So. Um, kind of just something that's been on the top of my mind. And I know that we've been wanting to talk about uh, for a while. So, um, well, I think that's, this has been great. I think this is really helpful sort of place to start the conversation. I look forward to seeing kind of where it goes from here. Um, as always, uh, thank you for listening to Will and Rob show. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Artie Hassler. Will is at Stockdale Will. Um, visit ministryofstate.org. And we will see you guys again next week.